What's up, guys? Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the C Squared Podcast, episode 22, with myself, uh, Christian Kirilla, and Fabiano Caruana. We have an exciting episode for you today, uh, packed with guests, packed with uh, stories, packed with news, and everything in between. So let's get straight into it. Fabi, good to see you, man. Uh, where are you? Yeah, how's it going? I'm in uh, Spain, back in Spain. Just relaxing for a few days before uh, work gets started again. Uh, and yeah, we just finished the tournament. You know, so uh, we uh, we both traveled away from uh, Netherlands. I guess that yep. was a tough tournament. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, long, tough tournament. That is still always at the end of it, I, will, I would assume, or at least maybe you can uh, tell me about it. What is your general recovery routine after? after the tournament, because this one is a long one. 13 rounds, in the cold, lots of wind, uh, all throughout the event, so it can definitely take a toll on you. Yeah, you know, that that's, uh, ties into something that we posted recently on, uh, well, we posted this, this clip, right? About uh, losing weight during, during tournaments, and specifically during the match in 2018 yeah. when we were speaking with uh, Alexandra and Andre Botas. And I got a bit of uh, pushback. You know, some people said, like, this doesn't happen. You don't lose a ton of weight playing chess. Uh, but it, it does. Like, these tournaments can take a mental and physical toll on you, especially long classical events. I mean, Rapid and Blitz, you know, those, those are not as stressful. Uh, I don't think they take up as much time or energy throughout the day, right? Like, the games are, are not as long usually. But these long classical tournaments definitely very, very taxing. Also, it feels like for those rapid and blitz uh, games, you don't have that much pressure on yourself. You don't have that much time before the game actually starts to just go through all the possible scenarios in your mind, stress about it, worry about what you're going to play, what your opponent is going to play. You just go there and just play the game. And that feels way less taxing on uh, yourself. Is, is that how you feel as well? Yeah, I think that the main reason classical chess is very tiring uh, and much more so than Rapid and Blitz and why even like, let's say Magnus expressed this sentiment recently. Uh, he said after Vikingsay that it was a very tough tournament and that he's happy to take a break from classical chess for a while. And I think that a lot of players share that feeling. And the reason is not so much the game, but more so the preparation that goes into the game and uh, all the players have to do this no one no one can survive at the top level without putting serious work into openings and preparation and that comes with the repeating uh lines before the game openings that you plan to play because nobody's memory is perfect and even if you commit an opening to memory once it's going to fade unless you consistently practice it so that's that's where the really tiring part comes from it's not just that you have to put in many hours of work into it every single day, but also that you have to make decisions and decision-making is, uh, it takes away your uh, mental energy. Uh, so the decisions will be based on openings. How do I want to try to gain an advantage against Anish Giri, for example, with the white pieces? It's, it's very difficult and it, it takes research. Uh, it takes decision-making. Sometimes you change your mind. Uh, you know how the process works uh, as well as I do. And, so all of that is, is very energy sapping. 
Yep, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about more in just a second. But in fact, we were discussing at the beginning of the show that we will have guests for this one, virtual guests. We usually have them in person, but this time, uh, unfortunately, we are not in the same place. A lot of people are traveling right now. It's more of a uh, transition period. So we do have a couple of guests today and we're going to start with one player that uh, actually made quite a big splash in the Tata Steel. That was, uh, well, uh, Jordan Van Forest, who pretty much by himself in the last round, more or less decided uh, the fate and the outcome of the tournament. But let's just get him in. Let's see. Jordan, uh, good to see you, man. It's uh, it hasn't been a while. We actually just uh, saw each other at Tata Steel. Welcome to the show. Welcome to uh, C Squared. Tell us a little bit about uh, the last few days after uh, the last round at Tata Steel. Uh, you were mentioning, uh, I think, before you played Anish, that was before the penultimate round, that you're looking forward to play the uh, spoilers uh, role in the tournament, and that's actually what you did. Uh, you changed the outcome pretty much of the tournament. How have the last few days been for you? Yeah, hi guys. I'm happy to be here on the podcast. Hi, uh, Christian. Hi, Fabiano. Um, yeah, so uh, going back uh, to maybe the last few uh, rounds of I Can Zay, um, I guess, um, like, so I really was basically absent the whole tournament. I wasn't really doing anything. I was just, like, on a big minus score. But at least I know, like, this tournament, um, at the end... You know, you, you can still give it your all. And um, I kind of was uh, looking forward to those last two games already for a while because clearly Optisotro was very much in the lead and Anish was always trailing behind. So um, I really didn't have a huge preference uh, for who would win, but I wanted to, you know, at least kind of put on a show for the last two rounds. And of course, it's not all in my hands. For example, when I played Anish in uh, round 12, I believe, I, uh, I I kind of got this idea and the Ragozin on the board and um, that was kind of pure chance. I took on d5 on move 3 and he could have, for example, played c6 or any other line after bishop f4, for example. Uh, Fabiano played an interesting line against Mamiyar recently. But um, yeah, somehow I got this kind of dubious idea on the board and then we got this crazy, uh, crazy game, which was fun. And then uh, for the last round, um, I was like, okay, well... Um, round 12 was fun. I wasn't feeling too tired, though, after the round. I think actually give it, playing this long and entertaining game gave me somehow some new energy uh, for the last round as well. And then I was like, okay, maybe Optisotrov was feeling a little bit nervous. Um, I mean, that wouldn't be surprising to me if you're um, in the lead at um, such a big tournament, right? And it's also his first time playing. I mean, he has already won some pretty major events in his career. He has won the Olympia, the World Rapids, but... Nevertheless, I think anyone would feel nervous in such a situation. So I wasn't unhappy with the draw, actually. I was considering to play maybe the Berlin defense or uh, whatever. Um, but I thought, like, uh, let's just let's just see. And if it's a draw, I'm happy. But um, let's just go for a fight. If I lose, that's also the way it is. But um, I, was, I just wanted to have a fun game. And um, I think uh, it, it ended uh, to be good for me, of course. Um but to be honest, I don't think he was playing for a draw or anything. He was playing some very risky decisions, trying to win as well. So that's why we got kind of a uh, a fun game. And then after the tournament, I just had a few holidays uh, in Amsterdam, actually. So that's about it for me, basically. Um, Speaking about the uh, game against uh, Abdus Sitarov, uh, when did you start to feel like you might have some winning chances? Because you were a little bit worse out of the opening, let's say. 
But uh, when did you start to get optimistic? Yeah, well, in this end game, I, I would say that if White wants to play it safe, they should very easily be able to do so. I played um, like he had a pawn on g4 and had a pawn on h5, and he could basically trade on h5 whenever he wanted to. Um, but at some point, he decided to make a very risky decision, um, advancing his pawn to g5. And maybe objectively, he had some moments there to be better. And... Um, and stuff, but it wasn't easy to prove. And at least, like long term speaking, I, I felt like things could go in my way. And then at some point, I spotted this very nice move, Bishop C8. And I was kind of worried that maybe I missed something. But I thought if I don't miss something positionally, I'm doing very well because he has, you know, two pawns hanging on e5 and g5. And I didn't think yet about winning the game there. But I thought like if he doesn't find anything right now, I could easily take over. So maybe maybe around then and then. Um, um, I think he made one more very strange move. At some point, I played the move b4, and I still wasn't hoping for too much. And he should have just traded the pawns there, but he went a4, and then I kind of immediately realized, well, he has no active moves. His pawns are weak. I, I'm not sure if I'm winning, but practically it looks really difficult already uh, for 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 white. So maybe um, there were a couple of moves. But maybe after bishop c8, I felt like um, there's some potential, at least, in my position. And I felt I should be winning just... Like when the time control was reached, actually. Do you think yeah, that I... he saw Anish's game? Go ahead. And, and he got a bit nervous that maybe Anish is going to win and he wants to avoid a playoff. And uh, that's why he maybe got a bit unobjective. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Anish won so surprisingly as well. I think that must have upset him because Rapport was seemingly doing quite all right, I guess. Then this move King G6 came, maybe that upset him. Um, I, I don't really remember um, when at which point which events took place like when he for example made those risky decisions that Anish already won I don't quite remember that but it definitely must have felt uh, or added some pressure uh, on him so and I have to say like at some point the position was just really hard to play like there was just no way back anymore and we were both um, having to make some difficult decisions so I think by that point he was just trying to play the position but it wasn't easy and of course Having uh, in the back that Anish won his game put extra pressure on him. While well, I was just, you know, playing carefree, I didn't really mind too much. I mean, for me, there wasn't anything much uh, at stake, I guess. So that definitely must have helped my case, I guess. What motivates you in those last few rounds? What actually motivated you in the la those last few rounds um, to give your all? Um, yeah, good question. Well, like I said, I was basically absent uh, from the start of the tournament and. Of course, realistically speaking, I should never even have a chance to um, play for anything much in this tournament looking at the field, but I won the event once and I've done quite well over the last few years, so I always come here with high ambitions. But the start of the event really didn't go uh, my way. With Black, I was losing games, making both strategical errors and making tactical blunders, for example, in my game against Fabi. Um, and opening-wise with White, I was just getting worse out of the opening. But then somehow I, I won this game against Arjun, which basically could have gone either way. And as you could see, it really broke his tournament. I mean, he had made, he was on minus one at that point, but he had basically lost all his remaining games, maybe with some draws in between. But for me, it gave me some new energy. And then I finally kind of played myself in the tournament. And I said to myself, well, um, I think that was like round seven or eight. Let's just treat it as a new tournament. And I think um, I was already from that. I, I kind of knew the pairings had. I, I kind of um, wanted to show, you know, that I can play some enterprising chess. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of my style. And um, 
Um, of course, there's a bit of luck involved, but I think at least in the last round, I made the conscious decision to play uh, the Taimano, which is not my main repertoire. And against Anish, I found this idea in the morning of the game, actually, and I thought, um, okay, let's just give it a try. I mean, maybe he will, like, objectively, Black is maybe even slightly better, but I, I was kind of in the mood for a fine game, and I thought he might do this, so... Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, sorry, it, it's interesting against uh, Anish that you seem to be a rather difficult opponent for him. Like he's yeah. he's he's very often struggling, and you've won a number of games, uh, including a tiebreak against him in Vikings A, and also a game in I think the Nimzo, the Samish variation, uh, which was also a very nice game. Yeah, no, that's that's quite interesting. Somehow, um, I also beat him in a match in some online event. Um, I don't I don't really know why why that is, but somehow some some opponents you do quite well against, some others you do less well against. It's very hard. I'm sure you have the same uh, with some other uh, top players, and it's always hard to say why exactly um, that is. So I'm not sure why Anish is um, somehow I have a decent score against him. And actually, I think Glasgow we have a 50% score, so it's not like I'm you know doing super well. But considering the rating um, advantage he has over me, which is quite significant, of course. Um, the, I'm not doing uh, badly against him at all, and I'm not sure why that is. Somehow, in the openings, I always seem to get a nice position against him, which is um, maybe a bit surprising. But um, yeah, I always seem to get some kind of idea against him, and then the game kind of gets out of control, which I guess plays to my style. So um, it's a bit weird, but I, it's a good question. For example, why does did Hikaru always have a bad bad score against Nakamura? Um, I'm sure you have some players where you have really good scores against. Uh, as well and maybe the other way around as well i don't know why exactly yeah i i have to say that I, I was impressed with how you were um also getting very very good chances from the opening and maybe not just out preparing but kind of out uh out thinking him in terms of opening preparation and getting him into the types of positions that he doesn't seem to like because i i struggle against anish in the opening to ever make inroads into his uh when i'm playing with the white pieces and i'm always either right. slightly worse or, or equalizing with white. And uh, you came up with this idea in the Rogozin where it's not like white is better, of course, but uh, but he was under pressure and then very soon he already had a losing position. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it helps that I, I worked with Anish quite a lot in the past, at least. I would say we worked a lot from 2019 to 2021. Um, so I kind of know how he looks at openings. And I know maybe which lines he will not expect. Um, maybe that's seeing too much into it. But um, um, I, I guess I kind of know like a little bit where Anish might feel more uncomfortable than others. So um, that could be it. And um, that may be due to the fact that we worked a bit. I know him quite well, I think. So at least so far, things have been going going well for me. But of course, it could turn around the other way at any at any moment. But I have to say I'm always excited to uh, to play Anish. It's always I, 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 maybe it brings out some you know extra energy <laughs> in, in the old Dutch clash. I'm always <laughs> like... actually let, let's build on that. How is your relationship in general with with Anish? You mentioned you played with uh, you trained with him uh, for two years. You were both on uh, the Dutch national uh, Olympic team. But then you started working with Magnus and it felt like that iced your relationship a little bit, at least online. Um, tell us a bit about your relationship with Anish. 
Yeah, so um, I would say that I actually learned a lot from Anish uh, starting 2019. I was never too much into openings, but at some point uh, in early 2019, we had a training camp and um, we had a few more after that. And I really learned a lot, a lot from him. And I um, helped him during some Canada tournaments. I, I don't know if it was the same one, which was split or if it was two different. I think it was maybe two different ones, but I, I'm, I'm getting uh, the history confused. Um, and then indeed I went over to uh, to help Magnus, which I thought for me was a really um, big opportunity. But of course, it's not easy when you switch to working for one top player to working to another top player. And um, indeed, we did have a, some issues after that, um, as it wasn't so easy to go back to work for Anish, for example. So maybe that um, did at least complicate our relationship in a in a, in a way. Um, but okay, time passes, and I think by now actually uh, we're doing uh, uh, on we're on very friendly terms. I don't think we've ever really been on unfriendly terms, but maybe we just were a little bit more distant for a while. And I think that's also that's normal that it can happen that way. But um, currently we're not working, but we're talking actually almost uh, daily. So I think we're on uh, very good terms, and um, we'll see if we'll work together in the future. Currently not, but you know things can always change. And I'm sure uh, your final round victory against Abdul Satorov probably helped uh, put this relationship back on on a positive uh, positive path. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know <laughs> how much uh, it actually meant our relationship, but um, it was definitely, um, I guess, a nice you know give back after what I did uh, two years <laughs> two years ago to him, uh, kind of making up for what I did. Back then, I mean, to be fair, he really should have won that tie break. But, you know, Blitz is crazy and uh, things can happen. And um, I, I don't, I mean, I, I didn't do it for him, of course. I did it for myself. But, um, you know, it was a nice way uh, to, um, you know, ensure that he would win the tournament, I guess. But like I said, we were already on friendly terms during the Olympiad. Um, we were already on, fight, on, uh, on uh, we were on talking terms. So really nothing, I don't think too much has changed due to that game. Uh, speaking a bit more about your work with Magnus, I think people will be interested to hear a bit about it because you prepared him, or you were part of the team that prepared him for the World Championship match against Jan Nipamiyashi. And I think you were working with him before as well as during the match. Um, so how was how was that experience? Yeah, no, I mean, um, when I got asked to uh, work uh, for Magnus, it was basically the day the Canada tournament was over, I think. Maybe when it would be sure that it was Napo who would challenge for the title instead of uh, Anish, who was actually still in the running, I believe. Uh, but then he lost. He lost to Grishuk. I don't know how he did. He lost to Alexander. He, lost Grishuk, yeah. he played a, a Bogo Indian, I think, and he needed to win that game. And I believe he... it was round 13, no? Round 14, he lost to Alexander. I think it was the penultimate round, yeah. Yeah, but that was a crucial game, at least. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Anyway, after that, I got asked, and um, I have to say immediately, um, of course, for me, it was very, very exciting to uh, be able to, you know, to be presented this opportunity. And I really didn't think of it twice. Um, so basically, from that moment onward, of course, it was in the middle of the pandemic. So um, we started to work online um, a lot, of course, in between the tournaments, as, for example, Dubo, who was also in the team, was playing quite a bit and myself, too. But in between the tournaments, we would have um, a lot of um, opening talks online. And then we had two camps. We had one in Lithuania that was, I think, in August, end of August. And actually, uh, Magnus was supposed to come over there, but we all felt quite ill. It wasn't COVID per se, but we decided it would be for the best if he wouldn't pass by. And then we had one in Spain where 
Magnus did pass by as well. I think both camps were around two weeks, something like that. So nothing actually too major if you're thinking about magnitude of a world championship match. But as I said, with the schedules, the pandemic, it was really hard to um, arrange everything. And I have to say, I learned really um, a lot because for me, working with other people, for example, Gustafsson was in the team, Peter Heine, Laurent, and Dubov. Really, I got to interact with a lot of um, different um, approaches to chess. And actually, it was more about working with them than maybe um, working with Magnus, which, is, which I was told before the match, uh, Magnus um, um, is not, is not going to be as much involved in the opening work. But I, um, I mean, of course, when you work for the World Championship match, at least it learned me to be um, more self-critical and to um, be more thorough and, and, and all that stuff, which is usually one of my weaknesses. Um, so that was that was very good, and we went over a lot of openings. And then, of course, during the match itself, it was quite nerve wracking at first. Actually, um, I was working working a lot, but then uh, once Magnus won, I think game six, um, everything everyone calmed down quite quite a bit, and that that was nice. But overall, it was really really nice experience. Um, I I think I I really learned a lot. I don't think it's gonna happen any anytime soon again. Seeing that Magnus um, is not gonna be playing a match match, but so. In that way, I'm also actually quite um, fortunate to be to be able to give to be able to have had this opportunity since uh, this is um, arguably or perhaps his last uh, his last match. So, how, how was the feeling um, after he won Game Six? Was the feeling generally that okay, now that Magnus is in the lead, the match is almost decided, or well, was it still that a comeback could happen at any moment? Yeah, of course we were. Uh, actually, um, I have to say that when Game Six finished, I was like fast asleep. I, I only saw in the morning, and I was sure it was going to be a draw. I went to sleep somewhere in the Queen and against Rook Knight two pawns stuff. Uh, but they played on for many hours after that, so I was like asleep, and I was very surprised when I woke up. He won. At some point, like during that game, I was worried he was going to lose because there was a uh, there was definitely moments in that game where Naples was perhaps winning as well. Um, but then, yeah, the, the the atmosphere relaxed. I mean, like Magnus basically said in interviews, he felt that um, the only way someone could beat him in a match is maybe if he would over push, well, if he were going to be solid. And that's basically what we did after that. Um, um, and Napo had to try to beat him. He would actually be able to um, to get chances. And nobody chess-wise can actually um, outplay him if he wants to be solid. That's kind of what, what he said. So... Yeah, like I said, the, the atmosphere became a lot more relaxed. Of course, we kept on uh, working hard, but really points kept coming in basically every game. So um, <laughs> the mood kept on uh, improving, of course, and actually the match ended prematurely. So after that, I spent like one week in uh, Thailand having holidays. So <laughs> overall, it was, uh, it was a really nice experience uh, over there. Yeah. You mentioned uh, that Magnus only came for uh, the camp in Spain leading up to the World Championship match. And you mentioned that in general, he's not that involved with opening work. How does a day um, in preparation look like when you guys have Magnus alongside you? So let's say, take us through one day in camp in Spain. Right. Um, yeah, well, I don't know how much exactly I can reveal, but I can... Uh... Of course, without revealing too much, of course. Um, um... We we definitely try to um, when Magnus is there, we try to um, question him on certain openings, which he um, whether he likes them or not. Um, we have a chessboard present, so we also try to look without the engine, of course, with the human eye. Um, especially Magnus likes doing that. Um, 
um, at the same time, I think that um, as a team, with a, um, we are basically just trying to discuss the openings between between ourselves and Magnus might have some inputs um, at some points, but um, he's not always um, giving that much input. Um, we just try to show him the final product and then uh, only then we uh, will uh, he'll give his opinion. So uh, that's about it. But the work days are very long, I have to say. Um, definitely Magnus might show up once or twice, maybe sit there for some hours. We definitely play a lot of blitz as well to keep him sharp, maybe solve some exercises um, as well. But at the same time, I was I would say that um, like the basically the five of us, um, Dubov, Jan, Peter, um, Laurent, and me, we're just sitting there with our laptop on the couch all day. It's not <laughs> not a whole a lot of excitement actually going on. We just click click buttons, um, go for meals once or twice a day, and then um, Do you guys play a lot of sports. When Magnus is there, um, well, when Magnus was there, we definitely played um, some sports. We played football like three times, I believe. We played some paddle. Um, maybe I think he went uh, to swim in the beach on the on the, in the sea a couple of times. So um, we don't go for a lot of walks necessarily, but we definitely did some sports. And where when, for example, the camp in Lithuania, when it was just us, we were really um, just sitting on the couch, uh, <laughs> not doing much. So it's it's also also important. So whenever Magnus feels like we need to do some sports, we basically have no choice but uh, to join. And uh, uh, we also like you know uh, sitting on the couch all day is not exactly feeling. Um, very good for your body at times. So, uh, you know, getting in some physical exercise is definitely, definitely nice. But like I said, the the, the process is, doesn't seem very exciting because you're just sitting all day. But uh, we're definitely discussing a lot of lines um, and um, trying to, uh, you know, think what could be uh, the best way to approach the match and, and that kind of stuff. Last question. When it comes to, sorry, just uh, oh, go, go ahead, go ahead, Bobby. Sneak one question and first. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Who, who's the best when it comes to uh, to sports? between the, the entire team, including Magnus? Well, I can tell you that for sure I am the worst. We once, we once, <laughs> we played this, um, we played this game of paddle once. It's also the last time I was allowed to play, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> At some point we were playing against Peter and Laurent, I think. And um, then this, Magnus decided to, uh, to have me on his team because he liked the challenge of having such a weak player that it would actually be disadvantage to still, you know, try to win, to win the match, I believe. And, um, I was definitely being uh, shouted at a few times for uh, my lack of uh, abilities. Um, so I would say that actually Laurent, he's quite he's quite good at, um, at all, all kind of... Uh, we played some ping pong actually at some point as well. Football, he's good. Definitely Magnus is the most driven. However, he uh, he really always wants to win. I mean, there's no... There's, I'm not really re revealing any secrets there, but it's uh, true whenever you whatever you do so even if you're just playing a friendly game of paddle or football with the local uh, football players there's definitely he uh, he always he always wants to win so i guess i guess it depends a bit on which sport i feel like for example in paddle for probably laurent was the best and maybe in football uh, magnus and uh, actually dubov was also quite good in football so okay. it's really hard to judge you know as being so bad at all these sports myself to say who's best because i was just trying to find the ball myself kind of <laughs> Yeah, just to uh, sneaking uh, another question, a final question from our audience. Um, so this one, I'm not 100% sure what the name of the author is, but it goes like this. How do you come up with such wacky prep? What is uh, your process for picking up an opening line? Yeah, um, actually it becomes more and more difficult nowadays. Everyone has tried almost all wacky lines. <laughs> I, I don't know, I, I guess... 
um i i'm i'm very open-minded and at times it can also backfire because um creativity is not always good but um i i, I would say i'm very open-minded so for example uh, more classical chess players would for example immediately reject an idea based on how the position looks well i maybe try to look for an upside um i would say i'm a very firm believer in the engine for example if an idea looks very if the position looks very strange but the uh and everyone was like no nah, i'm not gonna play that i might be like yeah but look at the ancient evil it's not all the better has got to be some uh, some upside some upside here and of course also being good chess player helps um you have to kind of know you know where to where to look what kind of um positions there might be a um a a hard idea that's not uh, or sorry an, an a creative creative interesting idea so it's not in every opening that you can have those but i think um, one of my biggest assets is just being very open-minded and um really trying out every possible move in every possible position and um you know uh, um not letting anything uh, not 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 immediately giving any everything giving every idea a chance i would say so you know trying to look at the upsides for example this idea of, again i keep i played against fabiano in bike it looks completely stupid maybe i shouldn't have played it but uh, i couldn't resist the temptation <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting because it's sometimes a fine line between playing something which is risky but has some practical surprise value but uh, some of these ideas, if they allow your opponent so much choice, then maybe it's also difficult to handle like all the po possibilities that you have to analyze yourself. Yeah, and... yeah. No, oh, go, go, go on. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, well, it's very interesting. For example, I used to always like ideas where the opponent has to find only moves. For example, there are many, many lines. But then if they find all the only moves, probably, probably it's going to be a draw or whatever. But there's also an advantage to playing a line, for example, what against what against you or white has maybe like nine, ten interesting moves. Um, and the player has to spend loads of time trying to find or trying to look what direction um, to play. So that's kind of two different um, approaches, I would say, and um, both kind of uh, kind of are interesting. Um, depends what you're looking for, but. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with giving your opponent all of choices because um, the only the only problem is maybe that you have to remember all of them. So um, having good memory helps, but definitely it's gonna take your, especially in the classical game, your opponent's gonna have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out um, how to approach the position. And we shouldn't forget that um, if you're still backed with good computer analysis, you're usually not going to be uh, completely busted out of the opening. Um, and you might, for example, have a huge time advantage, even if you're going to be slightly worse, which is also, you know, worth quite a bit in a, uh, in a long game. Jordan, yeah, thanks I a lot this, for... Um... Oh, go ahead. We can end the chess opening discussion because I think it will probably go on for a long <laughs> time if we get into it. We, we, we do have some... Uh, some we do have Anish actually uh, in as a guest as well coming up pretty soon. So I'm sure we'll nevertheless maybe meet in person one of these days, uh, Jordan, to shoot a podcast in person. Okay. But I think this is definitely a good start. Thanks a lot, man, for, for, for joining us. It was very revealing. I'm sure uh, the audience learned a lot about uh, the process of Jordan Van Forest and how he picks uh, openings, how he works in chess and pretty much your mentality. So that was uh, very revealing. Thanks a lot for joining, Thank you, Jordan. Guys, Thanks, and I uh, hope to uh, hope to see you.
I hope to see you soon. Thanks. We will for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 All right. Well, that was uh, Jordan. Sorry for cutting you on that last uh, question. For oh, me. no, it's, it's all right. <laughs> I mean, I, I could feel that he was also getting uh, kind of excited about the opening talk, but, you know, it, it would really go on for a long time if we actually got into it. I know, I know. And we actually have uh, Anish on the line. He just entered the chat and we will get him in in just a second, actually, without further ado. Let's just try to get him in and see where that takes us. Here we go. Here we go. We see him. There's the man. There's Hello? the man. Anish, can you Hi. hear us? Hi, Anish. Yeah, I can hear you guys. Excellent. Well, uh, welcome, uh, welcome to the pod, man. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. Tell us a bit about uh, the last few days. It must have been crazy. That was, uh, let's say, an item off your uh, list of accomplishments that you definitely wanted to see uh, taken care of, winning Tata Steel. Yeah, no, for sure. And those happened uh, when I kind of, <laughs> you know, least expected it in a way. But yeah, the last couple of days, not so crazy, actually. Um, of course, a couple of interviews had to be given and so on, but uh, kind of business as usual at home, you know, we still got the same kind of uh, commitments in a sense, like still got to get up, uh, bring my kid to school. Yeah, you know, everything is still the same here. Wait, and, wait, uh, wait, you're you're not getting at least a week off off of that? Of, Christian, off of your you're uh, as well, yeah, you're married as well. I, I I'm don't not married yet. How... <laughs> not married yet. OK, OK, OK. Now that explains the stupid question. Also, no. <laughs> also, I don't have kids, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 of course. I mean, um, the reason it is now like this, because um, logistically, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's much more convenient because I'm driving uh, or a school right now is uh, not, not and the weather is and so on. Like it's easier to drive it. So I, it's much better if I um, if I bring my kids to school. Um, and but yeah, it's um, yeah a little bit of chess as well still because you know you get bored very quickly. So I think kind of the usual days here actually pretty pretty chilled out I must say. We had one big TV appearance uh, with Jordan. I don't know if you mentioned, uh, but I uh, saw a tweet about that. Um, yeah, yeah. But he he didn't mention it. But yeah, it, it looked like a, a very big production. Yeah, it's a, like it's one of those like uh, talk shows, right? Like you have these. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Talk shows in different countries, like US, you have as well, yeah, all these uh, daily shows kind of things. Yeah, yeah. It was one of these uh, big talk shows that um, invited us together, which was kind of fun. So we did that. Uh, that was kind of big, also involved the trip. But other than that, yeah, I was kind of, um, uh, I guess, saw a lot of articles coming by, passing by in the media, but I didn't have to contribute much. I was just, uh, you know, just here chilling at home. Actually, the end of the tournament felt to me a little bit like fate, because first you were playing in Jordan. And you get an extremely difficult position at some point, objectively, even a losing position. Uh, and also you were under pressure from the opening. Yeah? You were surprised and you were lower on time and you survived that game. And then the next day, everything happened like clockwork. You, you beat Richie in a must win game. And also Jordan now took care of the other side of it, beating uh, Abdus Taro with the black pieces, which is rather surprising at least uh, because Abu Star didn't lose a single game and suddenly with actually. white pieces in the last round. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, surprising is an understatement. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're always, uh, I always enjoy watching your podcast because you're always to the point, but you don't like to exaggerate things. So you're, you rather use an understatement uh, than an exaggeration, but it was indeed the shocking turn of events. I have to say the last two days in particular, yeah, that was just a pure luck. Um, in my sort of defense, 
I had um, great highlights at the start of the tournament, and I've had many good years in Vike where clearly, if you call this luck, you should call that bad luck because exactly the same kind of thing happened, but the reverse. Like there was a year where I was absolutely winning against Firuja for my standards. Like it was technical also. And usually technical wins is what I convert. Um, and it was more winning, let's say, than our game in candidates, yeah, where I was five points up and only one in the end. But uh, it was more winning than that. It was absolutely winning. And somehow um, he, he was defending brilliantly, but of course I kept uh, making uh, some optimal choices and finally I let it slip. And after that uh, game, I still made a draw and um, still finished shared first, but Jordan won and caught me. And then we had the Armageddon. Armageddon was also crazy. Like that time, it was just, the game was just insane. Like at some point I didn't realize that there's going to be an increment. I forgot about that. So I was already winning on the board, but I only thought uh, about the clock. And we had like five seconds each and I didn't care about the board, but had I just realized that I just have to make one more move to get to the move 60. I just make a peaceful move and I, my position on the board was already winning and I just needed to, to not rush it. And uh, then I would win. And by the time, like I started playing, like I was playing way too fast, let the advantage on the board slip. Then I realized that, okay, wait, I'm not winning on the clock either because the increment is just coming. So that, that was like an insane year that I didn't win. And I've had many but other. If I remember correctly about that year, also Jordan only caught you because he won in the last round. Because exactly. he completely got his preparation from like yes, move exactly. one to, to yeah, 25. Yeah. It was this beautiful uh, 23 yeah. nighter of thing where famously uh, uh, Grandelius followed my chessable course. <laughs> and there was an idea of Fabian, uh, sorry, of Jordan that wasn't mentioned in the course, which was like a very dirty idea. The computer says that white is worse, but Jordan went very deep and it's as if objectively even worse, but it was so hard to play over the board. And uh, Grandelius stumbled. It was like lots of also the year when I shared first with Magnus. I mean, you probably experienced that a lot as well. Like uh, in Magnus's tournaments, the number of games he wins that are like very drawn uh, at some point, he's grinding them out. And in that year, he was grinding out such drawish endgames. They had this endgame against Matlakov. I don't know if you remember, a theoretical endgame from Taimanov, which is known yes. to lead to the a... Obstacle Bishop endgame, yeah. And I checked it recently yeah. with the new engines, with the Lila engine, yeah, that, I mean, it is as drawn as ever like the engine gives it as like absolute drawing any it's impossible to lose if you look at the engine evaluations and the number of like that can play any move it will be like between zeros and zero zero two or something it's impossible to lose that position it's just absolute fortress but matlakov managed to collapse there in a the classical game and it was very painful because uh, we were going neck and neck and uh, I, we both collected five wins and okay i was sort of um often winning faster and I had to watch this uh, other opponents stumbling, you know, in technical positions time after time. So it was, um, was tough. But uh, in this uh, event, in the last two days, I have to say, I've, yeah, I've never uh, been this lucky before. Like it really, it really fell my way like more than ever. It, indeed, it was just uh, like a pure coincidence that uh, I managed to win in the end. Well, and this the is luck a factor is is something that, I mean, it's it's very important for sure, but it does balance out. Like you mentioned the times that you were unlucky and uh, when Magnus got some uh, some wins that were probably a bit uh, maybe surprising, uh, beating Madlikov, you mentioned. Also, I think it, the tiebreak was very close. It was, you had an equal endgame in one of these games and it was... Yeah, but okay, there I think the first, uh, first the tiebreak, uh, first game, I was just uh, defending the entire time. 
uh, and in blitz it's hard to defend and second game i had a huge opportunity but to just come back and equalize the score so it's not like i mean the tie break okay let's let's give him that he also had a fantastic record at the time he was winning all the tie breaks he played so i was a huge underdog by that point but i i just mean to say that i felt that in many of the white editions uh like things were not going that great and, and i was even used to that too so i i didn't even expect to win this edition because i i've seen it before so many times i've watched this movie before and i was thinking it's fine it's a fine movie it ends with me winning some rating and uh I, i'm okay i'll be second third whatever and um, to be fine tournament i'll co continue playing chess uh, but of course i'm not going to win again because it's how, how it always ends so i was not really expecting that very much um but of course i had to give it a shot uh, because you know it's, it's, your, it's your job to give it a shot yeah, I wouldn't just uh, try to make a draw in last round with Richard and kill all the chances of winning the tournament on purpose. But uh, like, I, I didn't really expect that things would turn out this way, and especially that Nodderbeck would uh, lose because I thought that would be a very quick draw. I thought the game they would both leave the stage after five minutes, and then it would be just us left there. Um, it felt like there was a bit of provocation with uh, Jordan playing the time model, which maybe he said that he wasn't necessarily trying to win. But at least he was ready for a fight. And maybe Nordebeck uh, was also at that point, if he had played a Berlin, maybe he would have thought, okay, let's shut it down. But yeah, then he was like, sure. maybe I can win this game and not even risk a tiebreak. Yeah, it's hard to say. You have many of these people um, that are, go for this uh, sensible strategy where they say, if my opponent plays opening like Berlin or whatever, or I don't know, there are other drawish stuff, yeah, like this open Spanish, even uh, your Spanish that you played, this Bishop's Five Archangel, could also be considered very solid. They will be like, okay, against these openings, I'm going to shut it down. But if my opponent gives me a chance with a um, weird Sicilian, uh, you know, I'm going to play. So uh, this strategy exists. In the last round, I find that to be a very shaky strategy because you mess with your own, uh, with your own head a little bit. Like, it's a different mindset. I think you know uh, you would agree with me as well. It's a different mindset to go to the game with white thinking, okay, I, I want to keep it safe, or or thinking I'm going to go for a win because it requires an entirely different uh, uh, play, con subsequent play. And so, uh, if your mindset is torn in between, like my mindset is to make draw by force against Berlin and to play a sharp game against the Sicilian, I, I don't know how we, I, I would feel weird going to to such a game. Yeah, I read this in a book once, um, which was more about psychology than chess. Uh, but the advice that I don't know if it's universal advice, I'm sure everyone is different, of course, uh, is that you should generally stick to one strategy. If you want to play for a win, you should play for a win. And if you want to make a draw, uh, you should make a draw. And when you start to mix those things, then it messes with you. If, for example, at some point you need to adjust to, uh, uh, to you know, making a draw, yeah? And then your, your, your entire mindset was that I need to win this game. And it, it can be difficult to adjust. So it, it's, of course, it's hard to say what's better for everyone because everyone is, is different. Some people adjust very easily and some don't. But maybe Abdusatar was in that kind of both mindsets at once and he didn't know what he's doing. Is he playing for a win in this game or is he uh, trying to play yeah. solidly? Yes, maybe he also didn't have the uh, drawing weapon ready for the Taimano uh, because uh, you have to realize, especially when you're leading the tournament so confidently, uh, I guess he's the confident kind of player. Like... Uh, a less confident player would think, okay, what if he plays this opening, that opening? How, how do I make a draw here? How do I make a draw there? And you try to surround yourself with a very solid... I mean, you probably... Uh, I don't know if you... I personally have that experience. I don't know if you do, but like some, some games, uh, Wesley does, did it a lot. He has this so, almost like a draw repertoire with white ready, yeah? Like, mm -hmm. 
against every sharp Sicilian. Uh, like I was very impressed the last round of candidates, Nepo against Rapport, but Nepo was in a must draw. Yeah. He shut down Rouser so efficiently. I was I knew that line, but I thought after the game that oh yeah, that that is the way to shut it down. That was a I appreciated that. It was very stylish. <laughs> it didn't give him yeah. any chance. He forced uh, slightly better, very slightly better, and so in a very prideful way, slightly better. He was moving around the slightly better endgame for a while in the end, waiting for Richard to to defend and make a draw. So um, Abdusatorov also kind of stirred the game into a slightly better endgame, right? With his queen, queen f3, three, queen allows 95 g3. as well. I mean, it allows 95. It allows, but 95 uh, has some forced lines, right? It does, but there is even queen f95, queen g3, h5, which is bad. But you have to like, it's a lot to remember. Um, I don't think it's a. I think how I think it was, um, honestly, what I think happened is Abdusatorov is an e4 player mm -hmm. who has a um, repertoire for the tournament, more or less, against this Sicilian Apladis, which is ambitious repertoire. Now, before a game like that, he looked at Jordan's openings and he thought, let's play it safe. So here I'll Berlin, he'll go rookie one, let's say, I imagine, whatever. There's some other Spanish, he will do this, 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 and everything's good. And for. Um, and when he got Taimanov, which he didn't expect, he didn't have anything ready other than his normal weapon, which is, this is how I, I don't think he was playing, he wanted to play from, you know, if he didn't have the drawing weapon ready, he was just going with a, with a proper weapon. This happened to me sometimes as well. Um, I had some games with Magnus where, for example, I wouldn't mind to play it safe, but I didn't think about all the options. And then he played some opening that I didn't expect. And okay, I know the sort of the more solid option. Let's say he plays the French. I know the ED5 French is the, to trade the, the pawns is the mm -hmm. most safe one. But I didn't look at it in a while. Um, you know, sometimes if you try to play it safe, you didn't look at the positions, you can even get worse. So that's okay, I'll go for what I go, which which is ambitious, but at least I know it. Uh, I, I suspect that was a strategy. I really um, I really think that uh, trying to make a draw for another back in last round was a huge, uh, was a very good thing to do uh, strategy-wise, because then I would have to win. And then still he gets a tie break. Um, so I, th I think it's just a very good very, very good call. And I think he would like to have made that, but I think Jordan's choice. Uh, and, I, and I have to say also about Jordan's choice. I don't know uh, how Jordan saw it, but I, I think, uh, I know that Jordan, he can play the Berlin. He knows the lines uh, reasonably well. It's not like it's completely out of his comfort zone. So I really think that um, he refused, uh, let, let go an opportunity to make a very quick draw with Black, which I really admired because uh, he didn't have that much at stake for himself and uh, he could just call it a day have an easy day off with the black pieces and uh, move on with life instead he went for a sicilian where he knew it's going to be a very tough tense game and that uh, yeah that worked out well for me but i was really appreciate that let's talk well, about it seems that like you're and, 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 oh, and sorry question and jordan and your relationship with jordan because you actually trained with him and we asked him the same question i want to hear your perspective as it's like <laughs> you know it's well. sorry it reminds me of these of these police interrogations when they yes, interrogate yes. two people separately and then cross 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 examine <laughs> exactly exactly and you guys worked with each other then he moved on to magnus and you were actually posting let's say some cryptic messages on twitter as well you didn't take that lightly i would assume the fact that let's say not necessarily magnus poked your uh, training partners but he did go to uh, work with magnus that must have felt a bit bitter at the time um so um i don't know if jordan spoke about this at all the sort of the story uh, i didn't listen to that not not in much detail not, not in much so. detail okay i i mean i'll give a very brief sort of um 
of summary from my side, let's say, of what happened. Mm -hmm. So I was not, mm -hmm. um, it's, it was very, it was done sort of reasonably. I mean, the story is very long, but um, it goes like way back. So I was also approached by Carlson. I don't know if Fabi ever was approached, but um, I was invited in, to- In 2013, yeah. You were, yeah. Well, to, well. Yeah. So I, Carlson has worked with many, many colleagues. Um, briefly or had some training sessions so i was approached various times by him by him and uh, every time for a different reason i didn't uh, take the um, accept the opportunity sometimes uh, the scheduling just didn't work out sometimes i thought it was not the right moment for me because i was very close to qualify potentially to the match and i thought it would be strange to work this closely to that um, somehow i never got to work with him um, so Uh, then he invited Jordan right after the candidates, which is, uh, you know, when I no longer uh, qualified to the match, uh, which is something that I have no really, um, I cannot really uh, take part in that decision for Jordan, but understandably he wanted to take it. Um, and he informed me of that. So, so that was fine. And I was fine with that as well. But we had slightly um, different vision for uh, what exactly that would entail. So I, we had agreed sort of that um, after the match, uh, Jordan will re resume working uh, in my team. Um, but the devil was kind of in the detail. Uh, so after the match, so until the match, uh, I was really uh, cool with the whole situation because I, I thought it's all fine. Because I thought it would be very beneficial for Magnus to have an insider from my team because I worked with Jordan not only for candidates, for candidates but for a couple of years. So he was yeah. the person that like, Christian, you probably know what Fabi prepared uh, for yeah. each game, right? And I can say, so you... Yeah you really are part of his team you know the you know you know what he likes you know you know you know uh, certain things you know what, what he feels about certain openings so there's a lot Definitely of inside knowledge you know, that you have. especially for a player that you worked for over two years you know them quite personally yeah you know you know really well uh yeah. where they think uh, lies the potential for white whether it's in spanish or the italian you know whether uh what do you think of some so there, there's a lot of information and I thought that Magnus would really benefit from, from having Jorn on his team. Um, but I thought that um, on the other side, after he wins or loses his match, whatever, um, eventually it would also be beneficial for me to have Jordan uh, work with me again. Give you some insights about Magnus. Yeah. And I thought yeah. I was part of the deal because I, um, I felt that was fair. Um, um, but, uh, and, and I thought that we had agreed to that upfront with Jordan. And we sort of did, but... Uh, you know, in a, in a very unofficial manner. Um, and anyway, I didn't have a say in uh, what he does, right? Like, I didn't have contract with him signed before. Uh, maybe I should have, I don't know. But like, I didn't have a contract that he, I had only contract like that, you know, he works during these days and the um, Federation pays him whatever for these days. And that's it. I know nothing about uh, how it goes in the future, about any NDA or all of this non-disclosure, nothing. Right. I was, uh, I didn't think that would be an issue with people I work with. So anyway, the problem began after. So after that, I was preparing for the uh, World Championship cycle, the, the Grand um, uh, Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had my team and uh, Jordan was going to be back to the team. And after Vike, we even exchanged a few words. In fact, I lost in Vike to both Magnus and Jordan, which was kind of uh, unpleasant. I had a decent result, but I lost two games to them. But okay, I mean, I lost to Jordan, but nonetheless, um, we had always very good relations, good collaboration. So I thought, okay, let's uh, invite him back to the team as agreed. Uh, he said, yeah, 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 I'll come. I'll just have to confirm quickly with uh, with the uh, Carlson team here. It'll be fine. Then he says, yeah, you know, uh, 
I confirmed, but so there's um, sort of, there are conditions under which I have to now work for you, certain conditions. You know, there's certain mm -hmm. things I cannot be sharing maybe, you know, like, and I was like, oh, like, where's sort of, did that come from? <laughs> what kind of conditions? Uh, so yeah, so yeah, there's a list of things. And, so, and then I was like, okay, but wait, wait a second, like, whatever I work with someone, I just work with people, you know? So I have yeah. to prepare for Grand Prix. Yeah, I'm like, okay, if, if I want to look at the Berlin Endgame, I'm going to look at the Berlin Endgame. And I want all my seconds to tell me what they think of the positions, what they think of the lines. I cannot have a guy who will be like, oh, okay, this is a topic I cannot talk about, you know? Mm. Uh, because uh, yeah, that, that, that becomes kind of a, a strange team member. So that was a bit of an issue. And then uh, given the conditions and the situation, I was not able to really work with him anymore. Um, which I thought was a pity for me and for him as well, because uh, of course I was benefiting a lot from our work, but I think so, so was he, because yeah. uh, I have a lot of experience uh, as well, um, working at the top level. Uh, there are certain um, skills that he has that I don't, there's certain skills that I have that he doesn't. I think I'm a, a more structured uh, in my work and uh, I, I think uh, he is much more creative and uh, he likes structure and I like sometimes the, the creativity of his because his creativity is really beyond the, beyond that of a normal um, grandmaster. So I think that was a very un unfortunate uh, thing that uh, that happens. Okay, since then I had, uh, had a different team and uh, I tried to find a way to, um, you know, to f find the creativity that Jordan had, you know, uh, yeah. to find it elsewhere. Uh, and I, okay, I have a team I'm happy with, uh, but it's no longer with Jordan. And um, Jordan, I think ever since hasn't worked with Carlson either, which is also unfortunate because basically, um, he, yeah, he was kind of uh, left there in the middle. And I think that's also one of the reasons why he struggled a little bit with his results, in fact, um, because it, it's uh, it's good to be part of the group of people that works regularly on chess because they keep you motivated, right? It's like having a gym buddy. Definitely agree, definitely agree. And actually, let's build up on that because you showed up at Tata with quite an unexpected uh, second, Jan Gustafsson, who actually worked with Magnus previously for quite a few number of times and quite a few uh, world championships. How was that? This was the first time we did talk a little bit uh, in the bus going to uh, Amsterdam. You said that this is the first time that you are working with him. It's kind of a new relationship. How did that play out? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because Chess World is so small that uh, it, it ended up sort of uh, the, the way around now. Um, <laughs> because essentially uh, there's a very limited group of professional people, you know, that um, and they often switch like Fabiano also knows uh, I've uh, worked with Chuchilov, he's also worked with Chuchilov, and we've worked with him at various periods in our careers, you know, he worked with him also more than... Uh, sometimes at the same time. Uh, well, very much for, so. For a few we, years, yeah? Yes, yes, for a few years. We were, at the yeah. start, we were working with him at the same time, then um, yeah. then later I had one comeback with him as well. You also had your comeback quite recently with him, I believe, as yeah. well. So this, uh, But that, that is not... Uh, there, there's a lot of it is to do with, um, with the fact that there is a limited number of uh, top professional uh, trainers and people you can work with. And um, yeah, I saw the opportunity to work with Jan because he's a great guy. He was a Dutch captain as well at some point, a Dutch team captain. I know him for many years, but it was not possible to uh, to work with him for me because uh, he was a member of um, World Championship team preparation. And it wasn't possible to combine that uh, for him with my work. But I saw an opportunity there where uh, when the Magnus decided not to play any matches anymore because I think the, then sort of... Uh, 
that's a job ended for Jan, and I thought this might be might be the moment where he could be you know open for our, such a work, and uh, he wasn't. I think that that was yeah, uh, that was a good opportunity for me, and I think um, well the first result was really really good. Like I was, <laughs> as we mentioned at the start, I was also quite lucky. I'm not sure if that reflects uh, you know the the fruits of our collaboration because that's really um, at the very early stage. But I I do think it's yeah it's very interesting for sure. I, I always like to to work with professionals, especially when you work uh, with someone new, then it, it's always an interesting new input, right? A little bit fresh, um, looking at things a little different than, than you used to look at them. And so I think it's definitely quite useful. And yes, again, it worked out really well, the, the first tournament we played uh, together. Yeah, I think it's, it is very interesting to expand your horizons with working with different people because everyone has a different approach, even in small ways. Some some people in very big ways, of course, like let's say Jordan is a, is a very creative player. He has a lot of ideas. Um, but even people who seem very similar in terms of their opening preferences and their analytical preferences, they also have their own small ways that they're different. Um, actually, I, I thought this was interesting with, with Carlson's contract because you mentioned that you never had like a super uh, specific con contractual uh, thing. And I never did either. I never did this. But I, I know that Magnus was doing this even to the point that, like, let's say I, I wanted at some point to work with Maxime. And he had already finished working with Magnus. He had worked with him uh, for the 2016 match, I think, against against Sergey. Yeah, 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 that's true. And then I um, I asked him like, "Do you want to to work for the 2018?" And he was like, "Well, normally I'd be happy to, but uh, I even have like a contract where even after one year of working with Magnus, I can't participate in any preparation against him." And so it's a very smart approach, but I think very few people have, have tried this. Yeah, I think I think it's um, uh, not that, you know, we, I think we are a little more amateuristic for so two reasons. Uh, first of all, yes, he's a world champion, so he has a, a bigger team. Also, at some point, he had sponsorship from lawyer, lawyers, I guess, you know, from a company that, that, is, that was a company of lawyers. And I guess... Um, Maybe they have inspired him. Maybe they have talked to him. They said, you know, it's, it's a good idea to do because it's a very professional thing. And I, I guess that is sort of the right way to go, especially in the Western uh, uh, culture where we, we do contracts, right? Uh, we are not yeah. like uh, men of word. Uh, and if not, uh, you know, my older brother will, uh, will stab you. <laughs> you know how it is, yeah? Like in the good old days somewhere in the mountains. So we are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we are, not, we are not these men of honor kind of stuff. We are like, okay, well, what did exactly you agree? Okay, so this is the close to BA and so on and um yeah again like i think usually like i'm also a little lazy and I, you somehow think that you know you'll never need these things uh, just like you never read the tiebreak regulations and then when you see them you're like what the hell's going on i have to play now <laughs> 10 blitz games in a row and it's already 11 o'clock in the evening you, you just think it's not going to happen it's not going to matter but um, i don't think it's a bad thing of of him uh, i think it's on the people who signed them um i think they should uh, they could negotiate a bit harder um I, in fact, even with Jordan, I told him that I think don't sign anything stupid. I said that twice or thrice. Um, yeah, I think anything stupid has a very vague definition. So he, he's, <laughs> uh, I, I think, I think he did, but uh, maybe he thinks he didn't. But yeah, I think if you uh, if you deal with someone who deals with contract, okay, before you sign it, you have to negotiate very well um, because they will show you these contracts back when you, when these clauses happen. Uh, but this approach is very professional and. Uh, I think this it's not a not a bad approach for sure. Yeah, it, yeah. it feels. Go go ahead, Fabi. I was just gonna say, speaking of 
um, all these stupid tiebreak regulations and blitz regulations that we always fail to check and then regret afterwards. Are you going to be playing in the uh, new event tomorrow, which is the yeah, so, big tour? Um, I had strong doubts already uh, because, of course, after Vike, um, you realize you're exhausted. And I have the other tournament coming up, which is also very important. The four in February, the WR Masters with classical as well. And I already thought that, you know, but then I thought to myself, like, I always, I always try to keep my fighting spirit and my combativity in check because, you know, I have a tendency to, to, to you know, to, to look for comfort. So I thought, okay, I have to man up and uh, it's just going to be a rapid tournament. And uh, like, why should I, you know, not play it? It's like uh, just going to your laptop and playing the tournament uh, at home. I'm anyway at home. Uh, and uh, if I'm not going to play it, I'm probably going to watch it. Yes. Yeah? So it doesn't even cost me time. So I should keep my, you know, keep my fighting spirit in check, keep uh, the challenges coming and play this tournament. But then I heard that it was going to last five and a half hours. Um, and after nine games of 10 plus two, which is a lot, which is the usual, uh, usual, but a lot, because usually it's 10 plus zero. And that makes a difference mm -hmm. because it's plus two, you know, they go forever in the yeah, end games. Sure. They go forever. So um, it's going to be longer, but I thought, okay, it was already going to be long. But then I heard that you have to play a two-game rapid match as well. And I don't really know why, but oh, I mean, okay. Uh, so that, okay, that, that is maybe too much. Like um, there is that, the, it's five and a half hours. And then of course you qualify and you still have a bunch of days. So I thought just right now um, it will all be too much. So I, I will uh, look forward to watch this great event. And uh, I am almost sure I will play uh, some other leg where there will be no tournament right before and right after. Just right now, like I thought it was going to be easy. I thought I would just come to my laptop and play like a title Tuesday kind of thing. Because I played title Tuesday, I played RCC, I know this. Yeah. This is kind of okay. Uh, you just play and before you know it, it's over. But five and a half hours, it's, uh, it's a serious uh, challenge. And uh, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's just that's true. Yeah. I, I actually wonder how many people who are playing aren't don't really know what they're signing up for. I, I was shocked. I mean, uh, yeah. we played, I played the tour. I played all of these things. You just, uh, it, it was never this long. <laughs> it's just very long. Especially if you add in the, the, the tie breaks after that, right? To figure out That's the problem. That is a problem. Otherwise it would be normal. More or less. Yeah, yeah. That is the problem. This match is the new thing. Yeah, that, that nobody, I didn't, it, I think they might have added it later. I think it was never, uh, at least. I had I never, no idea never, that's going to happen. I had no I never idea. Heard you actually matches, yeah. told me about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I was I was surprised because I was thinking like, do like Fabi, who else is? Does anyone know the, what, what they're gonna play? <laughs> a final question for you. It felt from the beginning of uh, this interview that you have a very stoic approach. You just won probably the biggest event of your career. It's a huge result. Uh, you've been so close so many times, but never managed to uh, take it over the finish line. Now you did but you still have a very stoic, very balanced approach. Was that something that you consciously uh, worked on after the event? I think there are two reasons for that, um, to be honest. So one reason is that even though it's like a huge dream come true thing, you have to realize how many Vikanzes I played and how many emotions I've experienced there. Like I've played 12 this A groups in a row, yeah, the masters so-called now. I've had everything there. I lost there five games in a row. I've been close to first so many times. I've been close to first when it was a shocker, you know, with different trainers that all experience different emotions. I've been over, like, I've had it so many times. You can't even imagine. So by now, like, uh, nothing can can sort of 
top that. I've, I've experienced everything. And this year was a relatively calm one. I was not in the lead so much. Um, you know, I was just playing my tournament there in a, in a quiet way. And somehow the end happened so suddenly, I didn't even have the time to emotionally uh, process it as much. So I, I like, I, I've sort of, I'm far too experienced uh, in Vike to, to be like too excited about any result there. <laughs> That's one thing. And the other thing is that I think uh, this year is going to be really very challenging for me because I play a lot of classical tournaments and there is this, um, World Championship cycle again opening up um, now that the match uh, of Nepal against Ding is going to be played. We have the new cycle, we have the Sphere Circuit, all kinds of ways to qualify the World Cup, the Grand Swiss. And uh, I think with all these challenges coming in, I sort of feel that uh, it's maybe not the moment to celebrate, you know, because mm. this is just a the win winning bike is like really nice, but um, yeah, it's not it's not really you know it's it's not uh, gonna make or break the the year in a way or or a career or anything it's um it's just really nice uh thing but uh like too many challenges ahead i think to to indulge into too much emotions maybe that's that's what i feel i love it yeah and one final question for uh from our uh discord members actually um what do you think of upcoming dutch juniors and do you think the netherlands could ever become a top three nation in the world i think there's potential there because uh, we've got chess tradition uh, you know max jan timan uh, chess is a thing in the in, in the country it used to be at some point a big thing and uh, we have a big tournament like, like i can say we have some infrastructure there's uh, some chess in schools not not the one like in some hungary or Ar armenia where it's like obligatory in schools but some sort of chess in some sort of schools um a lot of young kids uh, inspired perhaps so i think there's potential for that uh, of course the challenge that holland faces as one of the western european countries is that uh, like fine like sort of financially um being a strong grandmaster is not a very lucrative career and just following the normal path um being a good school student then going to university then getting a normal job is also very attractive which is different in some other countries where the average wage is uh, significantly lower than the income of a um, grandmaster who plays the bundesliga you know um, twice a month and uh, brings this these euros home and then converts them to whatever currency and feels very rich so that that's the thing we that you face in a western country that for many talented kids uh, the parents as well they they think it's maybe safer uh, approach to just go for a normal job uh, and and just have a good life and enjoy your grandmaster title or international master title on the side and just enjoy chess you know commentate on you know on why can they one v one day not really uh, go for it um whether now uh, so obviously jordan is uh, already uh, very fast very much matured uh, max farmerdam is also matured uh, a lot definitely a team member of the national team. Uh, Lucas van Freest also has uh, matured somewhat. Uh, the really new generation, the younger players, I've heard a couple of names. Um, in particular, okay, we had two of these quite known girls, the Jordan sister, Machtelt van Freest, and um, Elena Rubers, who started really great in Vikings, as you had seen, she's beaten uh, mm -hmm. some Irene, really strong players. Yeah. Yes, yes. And uh, I heard uh, a name, for example, Dutch youngster, um, I think Arthur De Winter is his name. I, I think it's very early uh, at this point of, of their career to say what's going to happen. Yeah, it's really early. It's not even clear if they will be professional chess players because they're at the age where they could still choose to 
uh, enter university, get a normal job again, as I mentioned. So it's hard to say, hard to say. Uh, I can't say I, I know a lot of uh, Dutch prodigies, uh, but there are some names and more importantly in the long term, I think that there could be potential because I, you know, there is some, Holland is not, not new to chess. We have some history, uh, Holland chess that, that we share. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anish, uh, very revealing. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. I'm sure we will be able to do this maybe one day in person and we would love to do that one day in person. But thanks for joining. Congrats once again on winning uh, a huge event that's still and uh, good luck in the rest of uh, your tournaments this year. Thank you, guys. Big honor for me to join the very famous <laughs> Thank podcast. You. All, the, all the best for your, for your podcast as well. I'm a big fan. I'm actually enjoying it. I think one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, Thank, so, you. Thanks. thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Anish. That was Anish Giri, a very uh, revealing and very personal uh, interview, I have to say. He, he did tell us a lot of his feelings as well about a lot of uh, hot topics, let's say. What did you think about it, Fabi? Yeah, he's a, he's a very interesting, uh, very interesting person, very interesting chess player as well. Uh, you know, I've been playing with him for so long now because we're very close in age. He's 1994. I'm 1992, so I'm a bit older. But uh, still, we we intersected quite early in our careers. Yeah, I would say like we first started to play quite often. Let's say around 2010. So it's already been well over a decade that we've been playing a lot. Um, and I know him quite well personally. I mean, not not let's say in a you know very close way, but still, when you're around someone for for 10 plus years, then you, you do get to know them a bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, I don't know if he's really spoken much about the whole thing with Jordan before, uh, but it is, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. It, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's talked about it too much, but it's a sensitive subject always when you're talking about people who you've previously worked with, because there's always, um, you know, when you work with someone from camaraderie there, and, it's it's uh, it's definitely there's definitely some lines right which it feels like magnus can control much better with contracts at least that's what i took away from it yeah well i mean magnus doesn't do this himself you know he has a team and that doesn't just include chess players the chess yeah. team but also his management team so he's uh he's definitely outside of the actual management of everything which is good because uh, then you don't have to deal with, let's say, negotiating money with people who you might be friendly with, right? And then that could, could get in the way of a friendship. Yeah. Um, so it's always best to, or at least easiest, I don't know best, but it's easiest to uh, uh, to keep that side a little bit impersonal so it doesn't affect how people you're working with uh, you know, feel towards you. Um, and it, it also makes everything clearer. You, know? you don't have to worry about... Uh, any of the things that could become a personal problem later down the road, right? Like, uh, can I work with this person now, even if we stop working? Because it's all set out very clearly in the contract. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing to discuss after that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you actually had this situation quite recently with your long-term coach, Rustam Kasimjanov, who started recently working, it seems like, with uh, Abdus Satorov, and you discussed this relationship, I'm pretty sure he discussed this relationship as well, and um, the aftermath of this, let's say, separation. Uh, but 
Do you feel like he okay, owes I mean, you something uh, in terms of uh, not revealing openings? Do you, are you not concerned about that? Like, no. Well, okay. I mean, for, <laughs> I don't know if I would use the words the <laughs> aftermath or uh, separation. I mean, they sound. It, it they sounds sound, a bit dramatic, yeah. But like, okay, we, we worked for. Um, you guys did work for a very long time. We worked for basically seven years. I would say we started working in 2014. Um, and at that time, it was just a few sessions. Yeah, it was right before the Sinkfield Cup. We started our first session, and we only started working full time in 2015. But from 2015 to 2021, mid 2021, we were working together. And uh, I basically, Rustam told me in mid 2021 that he had uh, very little motivation for chess and no longer wanted to work. And I was like, okay. Uh, I mean, what he like specifically told me is I, I can't work and maybe at some point I would like to work again, but I don't know when that is. Mm -hmm. And I told him like, okay, well, if you don't want to work, I understand. You mean work together but I can't... or work as a whole? Well, he didn't really specify, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. to me, the way it sounded was he was kind of fed up with chess. Got it. Uh, he was a bit fed up with a lot of, I won't go into too much detail, but yeah. one of the things he was tired of was cheating uh which he saw in online tournaments and was upsetting him and me as well so it was like it was a shared concern mm -hmm. uh, but it, it didn't make him happy uh one of the things which he mentioned to me uh openly was that he didn't like my approach to uh chess in 2020 how i lost motivation for for many months and um and that also meant that he, like we weren't working together online very much, although we did go to tournaments together quite a bit. Uh, so he he made his kind of displeasure at that clear that I had lost my motivation. And um, I think the other thing was just that the pandemic was was I mean the whole COVID thing and all the things that we went through were I very think it taxing. Both destroyed of us. the continuity of a lot of relationships and a lot of especially chess relationships. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for, for, for me, it was very difficult, right? I mean, it wasn't fun that uh, I was playing tournaments, which could get canceled in the middle, or I had to go through these crazy hoops mm -hmm. during tournaments and being tested and treated like a guinea pig uh, wasn't exactly fun, I have to say, uh, even though I, I did go through it just to be able to play certain tournaments, like specifically the candidates. Um, yeah, also, everybody. if I can say twice, I went through this and Norway chess, and I was quarantining before events and sometimes during events and uh it's none of it's fun i mean i understand uh and i understood why he was kind of fed up so he told me basically i'm, I'm not interested in working anymore yeah and i told him okay i mean I, I understand that but i'll have to start working with someone else and it might make it more difficult for us to restart later yeah so that was basically it. we never we didn't work again after that conversation yeah uh, we we kept in touch a little bit for a short period of time for example, he congratulated me when I uh, qualified for the candidates, which I thought was nice, right? Uh, I mean, of course, he had, he had said some stuff in an interview that was like a little bit um, not not extremely nice before the that tournament, before I qualified for the candidates, and, I, and so I was surprised when he congratulated me. I was like, yeah, thanks. Um, and in terms of us working with other people obviously I, I can work with whoever i want like even if we had a contract obviously the contract would 
um, give restrictions on the coach, not on the player. Exactly. I don't think it's yeah. much about yourself, but rather about the person that worked with you and has access to your preparation. Yeah, this is because from purely a technical perspective. Sure. No, because like the things I know about Rustam as a chess coach, I can't use to damage him, right? Um, because he doesn't have opponents, but I have opponents. So if he knows something about my preparation approach, he can use that. I wouldn't, maybe damage is the wrong word, but he can use that against me if he's working with someone else, right? Yeah. So I don't think it, it's an extreme thing. Like just because you worked with me during a tournament doesn't mean that suddenly you have all the secrets to beat me, right? But it certainly is uh, a, a help if he's preparing someone else. But we we had a basically a standard like a gentleman's agreement. We didn't have uh, complex contracts or anything. It was, you know, you get paid for this. It was all agreed beforehand. You get paid for this. This is the system per day, bonuses, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, depending on the tournament, and uh, you provide work during the tournament. And uh, if you want to work with someone else, then it's not it's specified. But of course, yeah. The gentleman's agreement is that, yeah, you tell me if you're working with someone else and uh, hopefully it doesn't get in the middle of our work. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I, I've worked with people who have worked with other people and I've never really had an issue with that. Um, but there has to be some sort of like, uh, first of all, transparency. And also it can't ever be done maliciously, right? Like, yeah, you should never go behind someone's back. Yeah. Um, and if you follow those rules, I think it was all pretty clear. Now that Rustam has like, it feels like to me some uh, animosity is a little bit of a mystery to me um, because I don't like, you know, if he wants to have like a friendly conversation, I have no, no problem with that, right? I would have no problem with a, a very cordial or even friendly relationship with him. But yeah, it seems like uh, something about it was bitter for him. Mm. Uh, so uh, so he probably views it in a slightly bitter way, unfortunately. Um, I think a lot of it was just circumstance, like working with someone during 2020 and 2021 mm. wasn't easy, you know? Um, mm. Like this broke up, I mean, the, the whole 2020, 2021 thing broke up probably, you know, tens of millions of relationships. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not, not only chess relationships, of course. <laughs> that it broke up a, a chess partnership as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's basically it. But it's always complicated working with people because it, it's not just professional, it also becomes personal at some point, you know. No, absolutely. I mean you have to be personable and you have to be open to a person that you work with for, you know, so many uh, weeks and months of your life right and you share so many intimate moments i'm sure this is going to be taken out of context well, <laughs> this is going to be I taken mean, out of context because you have to watch what your the words you're using I mean, <laughs> just uh intimate oh, separation and aftermath separate, I mean, yeah, just... yeah 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 oh man yeah uh cool well i mean that was uh definitely a fun fun discussion with pretty much everybody that we had both uh jordan and anish were very interesting to have on the podcast and they brought a lot of interesting thoughts with them now actually yesterday it was uh, revealed that uh, maurice maurice ashley our good friend in st louis retired at least uh, officially right now from uh, commentary 
I don't know if that means he's only not going to give commentary for the St. Louis Chess Club. Maybe he's going to do something else with other people, but from his framing, it seems like he's not going to be doing any commentary for the foreseeable future. He's going to still be involved in a lot of other things, but still commentary was his main gig up to this point, and that's how he uh, rose to prominence. My feelings about it is uh, it's a loss for chess commentary in general. I, he was a person that I was definitely looking up to as I was coming up uh, in the rankings of chess commentators. And uh, I've been under, let's say, his wing at the St. Louis Chess Club. I've watched him closely, him, Yasser, Jen Shahadid, and pretty much the team that, that was assembled at the St. Louis Chess Club for so many years. And it feels like a loss. At the same time, I understand his perspective. And uh, yeah, um, interesting times for sure. What do you have to say about uh, this announcement? No, he, he's, he's an undoubtedly great commentator. One of the best. Yeah, he, he, he brought a more of a sports angle to it, like the way that you would see traditional sports commentary rather than the what I view as like a very old-fashioned and rather boring approach to commentary, which is, you know, two grandmasters discussing some lines that 99.9% .9 of people have no chance of following or understanding. And they get very excited when they go deep into some variation and everyone else is like, I don't really understand what's going on. And Maurice is bringing more of the um, inclusiveness that, you know, everyone can can enjoy. And I mean, we should be catering to the widest audience. Yeah. So like, you know, he commentated a world championship match, right? Um, Kasparov Anand in New York in 95. In the 90s, yeah. And, he's he's uh, an OG. He's been a uh, long he's been around right yeah. for a long time. I mean, he's a great commentator, but from what I understood, he was already like I saw his tweet, and it said regular gig as a chess commentator. Okay, maybe regular gig is, is pretty accurate, but he's been doing other stuff for a while, so I'm not surprised at all because we know he that has. he gives he gives he talks, for example. He gives talks to let's say. Um, you know, to business people or to finance people mm -hmm. about chess and how it can the translate to other of, things. Of, of chess and business, yeah. yeah. And I think he did a TED talk. Uh, wouldn't need a confirmation on that, but I think he did. I think um, that was before uh, 2020, 2021 when he... Yeah, but he, you know, he's been doing a lot of a lot of other things besides just pure chess commentating, so I'm not surprised. He did a chessable course, I think. Exactly, uh, and this is what he was mentioning, I think, He's still going to stay on the side of content creation, video courses, uh, talks, things of that nature. He's not going to stop any of those. He's not going away from the chess world. He's just stopping um, commentary for the moment. Yeah, no, I mean, I wish him success in whatever he pursues, but uh, I'm sure he'll have it. Um, you know, he's, he's good at, uh, at many different things. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know one of the things that a lot of people or some uh, of his uh, detractors were saying that, oh, he's just reading engine lines and things of that nature. That's not the case. I mean, he's been around since the 90s. There was no stockfish back in the 90s, and he was still bringing uh, the energy with him. So, yeah, he was definitely a staple of uh, chess commentary as uh, chess is becoming more and more popular, and we will definitely miss him in 
the commentary booth. I've had a lot of gigs with him. Uh, I remember vividly the US Championship that we did together. We had a lot of fun in the studio. So definitely one of the greats and we wish him all the best in his next endeavors. So yeah, that's, uh, that's more or less it for this week's episode. I think we covered a lot of things, a lot of ground, a lot of interesting topics. Anything you want to add on, Fabi? No, no, I, I think that we covered a lot and this is already quite a, uh, quite a long episode. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of our viewers will be tuning in tomorrow for the Champions Tour, which a lot of players will be playing. I'll, I'll also be playing it. You're playing that uh, one. Anish won't, as we found out, but mm -hmm. uh, I think I will be playing that one as well. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't I haven't played in 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 a long time actually. Um, especially not online. I played recently over the board. Even that wasn't as recent, but it feels recently because before that yeah. I didn't play for three years. Um, so I will be playing that one. Let's uh, let's also talk about things that you guys can do to support us first of all we have a newly created discord it's been getting quite popular you can actually chat with us directly and uh fabi i've seen you quite a few times in the discord that's probably your most uh, favorite app to socialize with uh, with viewers would you say so well it's the only well, not the only way, but it's the main way where we can chat on a very informal basis with people who are watching the podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we see your, your comments on YouTube. Um, we see the other ways in which you interact. Well, we get some emails sometimes, but if you want to have live, live interactions, uh, chats, then Discord is, is the place to do it. So be sure to join there get going join the discord leave your comments in the comment section as well here on youtube tell us what you thought about the interviews with anish and jordan tell us your views on the topics that we discussed we also have a new clips channel we will be posting regularly on that one though it has been more inactive in the last couple of weeks because we were traveling we do have a uh, tiktok as well so we're spreading our wings we're all over the place so any uh, sort of support on those platforms is definitely greatly appreciated but uh yeah that was it good luck tomorrow fabi and thank you um, good luck to you too we Casey will fun. be chatting yeah yeah we will be chatting uh, next week all right See you guys. sounds good you have See a good you. one. Bye-bye. See you in the next video.